Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker with me, Andrew Harrison, and joining me to explain the week ahead, still isolated and socially distanced because she's exercising common sense and personal responsibility, <laughs> is Naomi Smith. Hello, Naomi. Happy Freedom Day. Good morning, Andrew, or Freedom Day. See what you did there. So, so the press have built up today, July the 19th, mm. as supposedly the the Great Escape. And there were a few shots of clubs opening last night. Fabric, I think, in London opened at midnight. But the atmosphere is Seven quite as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean the atmosphere is quite a bit more apprehensive though, isn't it? We and you know, you're not seeing what you'd expect on the front of the, the telegraph of sort of people in, you know, women in bikinis jumping in the air shouting freedom. <laughs> We've been told that the rationale from Johnson is is if not now when, but the cases are surging. Scientists are predicting yeah. that fifty thousand infections a day will reach two hundred thousand a day later in the summer. What sort of a week are we in for, do you think? Well, a couple of things. So first of all, that question that I think the Prime Minister means to be rhetorical mm. can be answered. If mm. not now, when? Well, when? How about when the rest of the world is much more vaccinated than it is so that we don't see the emergence uh, of other strains so that people can travel more safely and come back to the UK with a reduced risk of bringing a new variant into the country as happened with the Delta variant that that, uh, emerged in India and then came uh, to the UK thanks to Boris Johnson's porous border, thanks to Brexit because he was so desperate to do a deal with uh, India that he didn't want anything to scupper that. So um, there are many answers to his question. The the government is starting the week on the back foot, um, having had another forced U-turn over the Prime Minister and the Chancellor not self-isolating and now self-isolating, having been in contact with, of course, the COVID-positive health secretary, Sajid Javid, on Friday. And I'll say this for the government, is that they do U-turn when they're wrong. They don't dig in. Um, They do tend to to U-turn. So I I, I expect we will see a U-turn on Freedom Day at some point when cases are so out of control. Uh, but the government will be at pains to blame all of us for not exercising enough caution and enough responsibility and self-restraint. But your your substantive point is completely right. Of course, the country has never been with the backbench libertarians that seem to control the Conservative Party and therefore the Prime Minister. Uh, they, we have been, as a, you know, as a rule, uh, majority in favour of measures, of increased measures of trying to keep ourselves safe because you know what we're humans with people that we love and we care about and we want to do our utmost to protect them but yet public policy seems to be being set by the likes of Mark Harper and the COVID resurgence group as I like to call them the CRG <laughs> um, who who seem to have far more sway over the government than the majority of the people in the country who repeatedly poll as being in favour of keeping restrictions of some sort or another until we're in a better place to lift them. This line of hammering uh, caution at the same time as ending the mask and distancing rules, it basically pushes those rules back onto frontline staff, doesn't it? You know, the, mm. the, the, idea that, the idea that there aren't any rules, but there's guidance, meaning that train companies and transport and shops and so forth have to set their own policies, which must then be enforced by the person on the till, the person on the door. It's very hard not to foresee confrontations, in the week. And, and actually, they've, they've already been hap- happening before restrictions mm. are raised, aren't they? You know, on top of this, it, it, it doesn't help that the weather's lovely and people will be mm. out and about and wanting to do things. Do you think we need to, uh, you know, brace ourselves for potentially rather unpleasant scenes? Well, I think we just need to brace ourselves for 
hospitalizations to increase and then the deaths to follow. Um, and uh, Neil Ferguson of Imperial Today has got a lot of stats out about his projections for rising cases and, and their commensurate effect on the health service and then on mortality. And not to mention, of course, long COVID, which is the thing that we talk about a lot on this show that I am incredibly concerned about and that the government doesn't have an answer for, doesn't seem to be taking seriously. It's long COVID clinics that were promised are not up and running uh, in every health authority as was promised far from it. So there are uh, you know, over a million people that have been completely abandoned and are now having to live with the consequences of infection, many of whom are young, many of whom were formerly incredibly fit, you know, ran 15 miles a week or, or, or whatever, um, and are now less productive members of the economy as a result. So I think we need to brace ourselves for that. I think in a lot of cases, staff will just not... Uh, be the arbiters of doom and the ones trying to enforce the law because it's not in their job description. They were not hired to do that. I was on an East Coast train a couple of months ago and almost no one was wearing a mask in the carriage that I was in and I had a word with the ticket inspector and I said, you know, these people are either wearing their masks around their chins or aren't wearing them shouldn't you say something to which he said, it's not my job. We repeat it over the tannoy asking our customers to do it. But, you know, my union is clear, it is not my job to enforce it. So I think there's going to be a mixture of, yep, somewhere, you know, a, a little bit of power goes a long way and they start to uh, enjoy their newly found rights of trying to implement rules within their own workplace and, and others that will just say, you know, no, not, not in my job description, above my pay grade, I don't want to get involved in a confrontation with a member of the public and, and just won't do it. Either way, it's ridiculous. And this whole pingdemic while we're on it, can I just say how much I hate that phrase? The app is doing exactly what it was designed to do. The problem remains the pandemic. The, the pings wouldn't be so frequent if cases weren't so high and cases would not be so high if we had an even vaguely competent government that was pursuing a policy of trying to keep us safe rather than trying to pursue an odd policy of creating herd immunity through a mixture of infection, which again has huge consequences potentially for people on, in terms of long COVID, if not serious illness and death and uh, vaccination immunity as well. Uh, it is a toxic, toxic case. We know this high case levels combined with high vaccination levels is the perfect breeding ground for a vaccine resistant strain to emerge. Um, on that pingdemic thing, the United Pingdom, we're now seeing reports <laughs> that you know, essential services and food supplies are yep. now at, at risk because Design of staff shortage. Yeah. yeah, and deleting the app is now widespread. How can you promote that responsibility that we are constantly told about when people feel they can't trust the information and they're getting pinged because the person in the flat next door passed somebody on a bus or because I think uh, that's been quite I think there's so f now look caveat caveat name yeah. is not the tech expert uh nor you know not am I, yes. or anything like that but what I've of what I've read and what some of my tech friends tell me is that um those cases where you've been pinged through a wall of a neighbor and things like that are actually relatively low and the app does seem to be working broadly pretty well in terms of saying you had close contact with somebody uh, rather than, than through a wall. So I think there is an element of, of that that is just not true, but that doesn't mean perception and reality are the same things. And if people get pinged and they'll just, you know, potentially dismiss it because those stories have gained traction and people have begun to believe, oh, it, it, you know, it's, it, it's, it's an overzealous app that's, you know, I was probably 800 meters away from this person or whatever um, is, is the real problem. So uh, I think the particularly concerning thing is where employers are encouraging their staff to delete the app. 
Um, I mean, that just seems crazy. I, you know, I'm, I'd be surprised if the unions weren't all over this, um, although I haven't heard much out of them on it yet, but I'm, I'm assuming that we will. But yes, you're right. You know, compliance requires trust. And I think we have an incredibly low trust environment in the country at the moment. Well, speaking of low trust, let's go back to that flip-flop at the weekend when Johnston and Sunak said they were not isolating because they were in a pilot scheme. You don't know the pilot scheme. It goes to a different school. And then 160 minutes later, they were isolating. <laughs> You've given them credit for admitting when they're wrong and, and uh, reversing a, a bad course. But it's terrible messaging terrible. at a time when you're supposed to be uh, promoting responsibility. Is, is I'm in a pilot scheme, the new Bernard Castle. I'm sorry, <laughs> I can do whatever I like. I'm in a pilot scheme. Sorry, <laughs> in a pilot scheme. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, the tone deafness of it was quite surprising. Uh, because the government has broadly been quite good at, at you know, taking the pulse of, of where people are at. And they often test messages via the front page of the Telegraph. And then when there is a bad reaction, they pull it and don't run it as a, as, as a piece of government uh, positioning. So I'm surprised they got this one quite as wrong as they did. However, I did see some polling that only 60% of people thought it was a terrible idea for Johnson not to self-isolate, which means, you know, there's a good 40% of the country that either don't have a view or were broadly supportive of the prime minister still being able to go about their business, given that he's double jabbed and, you know, regardless of having come into contact. So I suspect that's an overlap with a bunch of people who themselves are double jabbed and don't feel they ought to have to self-isolate if they've come into contact with somebody um, who is positive. But of course, we do know that the double jabbed can still transmit the virus to others. So we do all have to be safe. But yeah, incredible lack of judgment from the government this weekend. And I do wonder if a, a, a key spinner or comms person was on annual leave this weekend. <laughs> sort of felt like the person that would normally tell them that this is a dreadful, dreadful idea wasn't around to do so. So why was this a big deal now? Yet everybody ignored it when Gove got pinged after a, a game in the in the Euros football. Uh, but he was in a pilot scheme, so it was okay. He didn't have to isolate. You know, this this blew up on Sunday. Gove doing exactly the same thing didn't. It just seems strangely inconsistent. Or is it just one of those things where? You know, it just so happens that the kind of the fickle finger of fate alights on this particular story. A particular journalist or a particular tweeter picks it up and it takes it takes fire. I think that we as a country are just so trusting of our leaders that we find, I mean, not we, the listeners of this show and the panellists and all the rest of it, but we Brits, you know, tend to be pretty subservient to our leaders and assume that they've got our best interests at heart. What I found interesting was that there were no stories this weekend around um, the issue of racism in football and taking the knee and Black Lives Matter, which had dominated all of the pages just a week ago. So we do seem to be in this cycle where news just doesn't stick for very long at all. And there's, we just lurch from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. So I sort of tend to think this might not be a Barnard Castle moment for Johnson because there's going to be some other horror show coming in a couple of days time that will you know everyone will forget about this and, and move on to that thing and the government are very good at dead catting us um, and putting that dead cat on the table to distract us so we should probably be all alert for whatever announcement they're going to make in the next couple of days to try and move this story on 
couple more COVID things before we move on. There may well be a decision on vaccinating children this week, uh, which is obviously a huge aspect of the of the unlocking because kids don't necessarily get coronavirus as uh, seriously, although they do suffer from long COVID, but they can be major spreaders, and particularly if, if schools are back. So that, do you think do you expect that to get closer to the front of the agenda? Uh, yes, and um, I think most of the uh, vaccine companies, pharmaceutical companies, have have done trials and certainly have you know found that twelve to fifteen year olds are safe to receive the vaccine. Um, wouldn't it be great if we could get lots of them vaccinated before schools go back in the autumn, when we know that things like flu and the common cold circulate much more uh, widely at that time of year? So um, I would imagine that it will. Um, however let's not forget when it comes to our children we can you know sometimes have slightly irrational views around vaccinations and we've seen vaccine hesitancy with parents over a range of different uh, vaccines but obviously notably the MMR and we've seen a resurgence of measles actually in in the UK as a consequence of that kind of vaccine hesitancy so uh, this cohort are probably around about the age or maybe slightly younger than the cohort that were meant to get the MMR and you know some of them didn't because of that conspiracy theory that that ran rampant 20 20 or so years ago so I would hope that we will be rolling out a vaccine for them a vaccine program for them at least have them single jabbed in time for going back to schools Um, however yeah I'm just sort of slightly cautious that people prepared to take a vaccine for themselves might hesitate uh, over allowing their child to get one. Also, it's the last week of Parliament before it rises till September. Why not? Nothing big is happening. Masks will no longer be required for MPs. You're expecting grandstanding in the chamber, Naomi. People grandiosely throwing off their masks. Oh, almost certainly from some of the usual dreadful CRG suspects. But I would really hope that the opposition MPs wear two masks um, <laughs> the counter signal that they do care about the welfare of the staff in parliament and uh, and of course of their own office staff so uh, yeah i mean look, an easy an easy point to score if you want to uh, show solidarity with the workers there's a couple of standouts in this last week before Parliament rises. Uh, one is that show favourite Lord Frost is going to be up before the European Scrutiny Committee talking about the Northern Ireland Protocol. Yes. Supermarkets in Northern Ireland are warning they've got to shift from, they may have to shift from UK to EU suppliers, which would drive up prices of, of food in Northern Ireland. When I was a kid, I remember like whenever we had visitors coming over from Northern Ireland, they used to say how cheap things were in the rest of Britain. Was that your experience when you were a kid? It was like food was more expensive, things were more expensive. Probably. I mean, I was a bit too young to yeah. you know, have my own purchasing power, so um, not entirely sure. I mean, I remember that a lot of the food was, I mean, look, there's a lot of very nice salmon. Mm. But once you've eaten salmon, you know, four nights of the week, <laughs> you kind of, so we got a bit sick of eating salmon within the first oh, couple of years. <laughs> um, uh, and there are a lot of potatoes <laughs> with yeah. every meal. Um, that's so my, my kind of recollections of, Northern Irish food were, were sort of based around what it was, what it tasted like, rather than how much it cost. Yeah. That said, there were far fewer brands. You know, so I remember that Tesco's wasn't there, Sainsbury's wasn't there. There was crazy prices and Wellworths and, you know, very different kinds of uh, localized store brands. And then there were certainly none of the big clothing retailers. So if you were lucky enough to get a trip 
with your school over to Liverpool or Glasgow or uh, London or whatever. Promise land. You would, oh man, you would take like an empty suitcase <laughs> with you and, you know, you'd hoover up that top shop and um, an Oasis and, you know, all those kinds of stores, new look and everything that we just didn't have at that time in Northern Ireland. And, uh, and I do remember, therefore, that the shops that we did have probably were a bit more expensive. Yes. Now, now you mention it, they probably were. Well, back to now, the Northern Ireland yeah. Protocol. What's, what's the latest state of play there then? So Frost is due to outline Britain's proposals for changing the way the protocol is implemented. So we need to be clear, if there was some kind of magic solution that would keep everyone happy, it would have been found in the last three years of negotiation. So I think we need to expect something either unacceptable to the EU or probably more likely completely unworkable in practice and you know let's trigger warning ourselves technical solutions etc et ah, et um so i think their proposals are likely to come in the time on a tradition of dumping unpopular or half-baked policies just before recess to avoid any kind of parliamentary scrutiny the point that shouldn't be missed is that even if this issue is resolved the business with chilled meats is kind of just an appetizer for the kind of problems that the crap Brexit deal will cause for Northern Ireland and then consequently our relationship with the EU. Now, Aidan Connolly, um, who uh, runs the Northern Ireland Retail Consortium and he also sits on Best of Britain's UK Trade and Business Commission, gave evidence on the protocol last week to the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee. And he rightly described the sausage war as, quote, not even handbags at dawn. Um, It was not a trade war. And he went on to say that much greater problems are on the way for Northern Ireland businesses. And as you've mentioned, six supermarkets have now claimed that the next phase of checks are going to drive up costs both for them and Northern Irish consumers. So nobody likes the Northern Ireland Protocol, either because you are a Remainer who just wanted to stay in the EU and not need one, or because you're a Lever. um, And and, and therefore, you know, you, you hate anything that separates you from Uh, the rules that govern the rest of GB. Um, But it is the least worst option once the government decided it wanted to do the hardest possible Brexit, which it it pretty much did, narrowly avoiding a no deal. So those now blaming the protocol or the EU, e.g. the DUP and our Brexit government, are being extremely disingenuous to the public at the moment. I can't believe you'd say something like that. Yeah. Also, a couple of other things to keep an eye out for. The second reading of the Nationality and Borders Bill is uh, is happening this week. In the uh, in the last week, the knock and run week, just dump the stuff and then run away, as you just described. There's going to be a lot of focus on asylum, including removal of asylum seekers to a third country before judgment on a case. So that'll probably be a bit of a debate in the middle of the week. And also, the BBC's Mark Darcy, on who we rely for our future projections in Parliament, uh, he wrote last week, um, as I write, it's not clear if the blockbuster report from the Joint Health and Science Committees on the lessons of the pandemic pandemic will emerge before the summer we're going to be waiting for this for a long time aren't we yeah <laughs> yes we are um and uh you know we at best of we're always trying to uh think about the timetabling of various bills and how long or quickly the government is going to try and rush them through and um uh trying to guess when it's going to go from second reading to third reading and things like that and that they've got a lot of business they want to get through um you've got obviously this bill there's this this triumvirate of dreadful bills there's this um asylum bill for for shorthand there's the policing bill that passed its um 
uh, House of Commons reading last week, and I think we'll go to the Lords um, in September. And that is the one where they're going to try and stop demonstrations. So if you came on a People's Vote march or uh, any of the other um, you know demos against Trump or whatever in the last few years, uh, or a climate rally, that, that's to try and stop those, basically, and certainly stop them in their current form. Uh, and then there's the introduction of the Elections Bill, which, again, is a very egregious piece of legislation. Best of Britain put out a video explainer on it last week, so you can go and watch that rather than listen to me repeat myself here. But basically, the, the government is coming for immigrants. It's coming for seekers of sanctuary. It is coming for our democratic rights. And we need to all wake up, smell the coffee, roll up our sleeves and get involved. Uh, a couple more stories uh, before we go. The Guardian had an astonishing scoop this morning about Pegasus spyware. Um, authoritarian governments, including Victor Orban's and the Saudis, have been snooping on lawyers, journalists, heads of state, activists, business leaders, using an item, a piece of malware sold by an Israeli surveillance firm. Uh, around 50,000 phone numbers were targeted, including numbers that belong to the editor of the FT and the families of the murdered Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi, and also a Mexican journalist, Cecilio Pineda Berto, who was murdered after his phone was targeted, which is a genuinely frightening link there. Um, mm. The Guardian's head of investigations, Paul Lewis, said the data leak shatters the lie that the innocent need not fear surveillance. What do you think, Naomi? Moving over to Signal and Encro chat now. Oh, I mean, I think what worries me a lot about this is that, look, on the one hand, obviously, I do not want anyone to delete the the track and trace app it's incredibly important that we know if we've come into contact with somebody infected and and do the right thing so it's not to pass it on however one of the other apps of course that that everyone's downloading in a flurry is the nhs app uh that shows their vaccination history um so that they can use it as a so-called vaccine passport to prove their double vaccination status in order to escape Plague Island and, and have a nice holiday or visit family that they've not seen for years or whatever. And that means that there is an enormous amount of personal data on our phones this month that probably wasn't on there a couple of months ago. It has your entire medical history going back to, to you know time of whenever records began. And if you're young, then that's your, your entire medical record. Um, and unless you've opted out, of course, of, of that system, which a lot of people just didn't know they could do and, and probably didn't do. So I'm really concerned um, about the ability of spyware like this to get hold of incredibly sensitive data. I mean, that is about the most sensitive personal data um, that, that can be held on somebody. So I think this is this is worrying stuff indeed. Yeah, some, some of the more, even more disturbing aspects of it, the fact that the software enables the operator to drain the phone's contents, but also it can it can slave it. It can activate the camera yeah. and the microphone as a proper yeah. born yeah. surveillance type stuff. Yeah. Uh, one Azerbaijani and, 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 and you don't even need to click on a link, as I understand yeah. it. It, it. You just, it, I think it's it, it tricks you into calling somebody on WhatsApp and then that's it. It's yeah. taking control of your phone. Another thing to look out for this week is uh, Keir Starmer is expected to start a purge of a set of far-left factions in the Labour Party. The NEC will be asked on Tuesday to prescribe resist, uh, Labour against the witch hunt, which was a key denier of anti-Semitism allegations under Corbyn, Labour in exile network, which is for expelled or suspended members, and socialist appeal, which is widely considered as the heirs to militants, or indeed militants under a different name. Naomi, as a completely disinterested outsider, uh, what, what do you think? Has Starmer left it a bit late for this, or is it actually masterful scheduling, because you'll get a big public row at conference uh, mm -hmm. in front of the floating voter? Well, I have a couple of views on this. One, I think 
you need racists to have a very strong signal sent to them. And so anti-Semites need to be mm. told loud and clear, racism isn't tolerated, anti-Semitism is racism, you are not welcome. However, if it's not just that and it is perceived as a purge of the left rather than the anti-Semites, I think Starmer's is probably in a bit of trouble. Um, he relied quite heavily on the left lending their vote to him to get elected. Um, and I, I fear that perhaps he needs to do a little bit more to keep them happy than he has done to date. I don't profess to know what that is beyond the obvious things around, you know, promotions of, of leftist MPs and, you know, former Corbynites and things like that, and, and sort of showing a, a, a hand of willingness to work with them. And my second view on this is that it's beautifully making the case for proportional representation. And I know Ros will laugh at me and Torian will laugh at me and probably make me put money in the swear jar. I'm not going to talk about a progressive alliance. I am just talking about proportional representation and the fact that our parties are these very, very forced, incredibly broad coalitions that it is incredibly hard to keep together. And if we had a multi-party system, because the electoral system allowed for it, you wouldn't need purges to the same extent at all. And, and all these groups could go their happy, merry, separate ways. And you could have a social democratic party and a you know, much more Marxist party and, and, you know, and a social liberal party and a centre-right liberal party and uh, a far-right conservative group and a moderate conservative group of internationalists, etc. And, and you wouldn't have all these constant problems of Johnson having to court his backbenchers and you know, to hell with the rest of the country because he has to keep that flank of... Uh, 1922ers or CRGers or ERGers happy and 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 Corb uh, and Sama wouldn't have to be being seen to try and have a heavy hand and and defang the left of his party. So I I think that as serendipitously Labour goes into its party conference season debating whether or not to adopt proportional representation on the conference floor as corporate Labour Party policy. Interesting that uh, that there probably will be people peeling off and thinking about starting their own party because they've been ousted from mainstream Libya. Well, John McDonnell's raging. He's saying standard Blairite fare to try and show how strong a leader you are by taking on your own party. I just think, fine by me, inject this into my veins. Finally, <laughs> before we go, Jeff Bezos intends to go to actual space, not nearly space like Branson did. Branson was a few <laughs> hundred miles short of being in space. Bezos will launch his Blue Origin rocket on Tuesday, anniversary of the first moon landing. Um, dawn of a space age, or is space only for rich people in the future? Oh, I mean, I, yeah, look, the privatisation of, of space, surely it's got to be a you know state-funded endeavour if you're going to do it. And the state have got better things to be doing at the moment, um, whether it's the US state or the you know, European Union or whatever. Um, I get the temptation to escape Earth right now. Of course I do. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, surely we're only going to be taking COVID out to the aliens, right? You know, this is probably not a, not a wise idea at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, look. I'm so overwhelmed and concerned by all the terrible things that are happening on Earth right now, whether it's the you know climate change stuff and the horrific floods that we've seen in Germany and, and Belgium and other countries over the last couple of days, or the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. It's just really hard to think about whether or how or why we could ever escape this planet and go and forge a, a new life somewhere else. Um, and, you know, Bezos is... Yeah, 
one of the few people that's had a, a, a good 2020 slash 2021 and the rest of us have to, yeah, be stuck on Plague Island, let alone Plague Earth. Hands, face, outer space. Thank you for joining us, Naomi. Hope thanks you, very much. Hope your week of personal responsibility goes goes well. Uh, listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, if you're enjoying The Bunker and our daily podcast, you can help us keep at it by supporting us on Patreon, the crowdfunding platform. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast. Uh, you'll get the podcasts early. You'll get amazing merchandise and other important and delightful things. But the most important thing is you will be helping us to keep on keeping on. So thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with The Panel Show. And there are, of course, new episodes Monday to Thursday and a weekend bonus as well. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. An audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>